we find very often that the uh, word roe refers to leadership or um, uh, like uh, the, the skill. It refers to the ability to like achieve the the demonstration like, like a, a paradigm so it's very possible that when it says it means he would lead his brothers he would instruct them but sown regarding the flock in other words yosef the uh, shepherding was the family business yaakov was a shepherd yitzchak was a shepherd Abraham was a shepherd, so it was a family business, and as the Torah tells us, and as of course we know, Yosef was the especially gifted, beloved son of Yaakov, and it is likely, I mean, the Torah says that uh, uh, that Yaakov invested a particular energy in transmitting to Yosef the skill and the, the sort of, um, uh, you know, features and the ability to excel as a shepherd. So according to that, take another close look at the, the text. He was the leader of the brothers and he would instruct them. He was the seeing of the family business. Nevertheless, it says means a lad and it suggests like subservience. We find that the word Ramban even says means not only in terms of age, he was 17 years old, so he was youthful. But we find the word na'ar even referring to an adult. Yehoshua is called a na'ar when he was, I think, in his 50s. So it means someone who is subservient. So who na'ar is he was subservient. In other words, he served them. He was like a, uh, uh, regarded himself as um, a junior, uh, younger partner even to his brothers who were the sons of Bilha and Zilpah. In other words, they were the sons of the maid servants, even though here they are described as Yaakov's wives. But as we know, Yaakov really wanted to marry Rachel. He ended up marrying Leah first, and then he married Rachel. Subsequently, he married these two maid servants as well. But the point is that the, door, the sons of Bilha and Zilpah were regarded or could have been regarded as second rank, second rank. And therefore, the Torah says that Yosef was a na'ar. He was like a lad. In other words, he was subservient even to those brothers, all the more so to the brothers, to his brothers, his older brothers from Leah. In other words, according to this analysis, Yosef is not trying to lord his authority. On the contrary, he was expert in the craft of shepherding. And nevertheless, he adopted a subservient position in terms of social interaction vis-a-vis -vis the brothers, even the second ranking brothers. According to this introduction, when Yosef had those dreams, it should have been evident that the dreams do not reflect the delusions of grandeur of a young uh, kind of uh, pesky, maybe uh, overly indulged teenager, younger brother to his senior brothers. But even though he was younger, of course, but rather they those dreams reflect a prophetic um, experience. And when he related those dreams, the brothers should have realized 
that it's not in the character of Yosef to be boasting, etc. Even though uh, many other commentaries understand that the dreams were presented in this kind of, as I said, pesky manner. But nevertheless, according to these close uh, observations of Xavier Kabbalah, uh, it is evident that Yosef actually, you know, did not uh, seek to lord his his position, and the dreams should be seen in that context. It doesn't reflect his aspirations or what he's dreaming about during the day, and therefore when he sleeps, he has the similar dream. But on the contrary, these were prophetic dreams, as of course, indeed, they, they proved to be. Now, what's more fascinating, though, is the further part of this passage, the second half of the verse, Vayave Yosef, if you were looking in this stone, Chumash, it's the beginning of the fourth line on that same page, 198, the last words of this passage, a passage base, Vayave Yosef is dibasam ra'a el avihem. Now, as we read already, Art Scroll renders it, and Joseph would bring evil reports about them to their father. Dibasam. Now, the word Diba, Rashi says, Dibasam, if you take a look at Rashi, Kol Whatever he saw that was, was wrong, was uh, misbehavior on the part of his brothers, the sons of Leah, he would tell his father. And Rashi gives a few examples coming from the Medrash. And Rashi says, Dibasam, take a look at the next comment of Rashi, Dibasam, Kol Lashon Diba, Rashi quotes the Laz, Whatever he saw, whatever he could find to criticize them to his father, he did. Diba, says Rashi, Lashon Dovev Sifse Yeshanim. There's a, ver a verse in Shir Hashirim that the word Diba comes to the word Dibur, Dovev, which is to speak. So Rashi understands, going back to the Pasuk, whatever he saw bad about his brothers, he told his father. In other words, he was a talebearer, again, a very, very um, uh, contemptible trait, and one that helps to explain why his brothers resented him so deeply. Difficulty here is that it's, it doesn't fit in that well to say that Dibasam Ra'a, Dibasa means their dibur. It sounds as if he told his brother about their evil speech, but that wasn't the point. It's true that he criticized them for uh, their denigrating the sons of Bilha and Zilpah. That's one of the three things that Rashi mentions, but that wasn't the main thing. The other things were, were actions, not speech. So it doesn't make sense to say that Yosef brought their speech it means it was Yosef's own speech, but it doesn't fit in with that well. If it says, Ve'ave Yosef is dibasam, their speech. But if Rashi is right, the dibasam means speech, it doesn't fit in well. Also, ra'a, so Rashi himself says that the word diba means ra'a. We always find motzi diba. The word diba doesn't just mean uh, recounting something that a person believes or sees or claims or alleges. It means specifically misbehavior, specifically negative, specifically speech which is maligning or at least critical of someone else. And it's often presumed to be what we call Lashon Hara, see Shemra. In other words, it's false accusations, but it's certainly defamatory. Even if it's true, it certainly is negative. That's the meaning of the word Diba. In which case, why does it say Diba Sam Ra'a? It's redundant, which Ramban also asked that question. So Ramban says, it's like Lahaflig, it's just to emphasize Diba Sam writes it's you know um repeats the same idea but again it's a little bit weak but then he asks uh um 
some other question as well. Yeah, and also he says it should have said, like we say, or uh, something like that. It should have said, their uh, misbehavior. So these are the first questions he has, but he has much stronger questions as well. He says the biggest problem here, which lies in the background, it's kind of the elephant in the room. How could it be that Yosef Hatzadik, Yosef who is so righteous, Yosef who is regarded as, and he was regarded by his father as the most gifted, most distinguished, most righteous of the brothers. And we see later on in his career, how righteous he is again and again. How could he commit such a crass transgression? Lashon Hara, we know, is a very egregious transgression. It's comparable to heresy and to the worst sins. How could Yosef be guilty of that? And what about his father? We don't find that his father rebukes Yosef. He rejects the allegations. We don't find that he even sort of um, uh, encourages him to like reevaluate or we don't find any of that. Yaakov apparently accepts the allegations or at least doesn't reject them. We don't know that he rejects them. Moreover, even if you say, which many in the Foshim do, that Yosef's intention was the Shem Shamayim and his intention was worthy, and maybe he misunderstood. And again, the Mephoshim explained how indeed he saw whatever it was, and he misinterpreted it, okay? We don't find, though, that Yaakov challenges Yosef about it, nor do we find that Yaakov takes it up with Yosef's brothers to say, I've heard this and this about you, or even if he doesn't say I've heard, he wants to protect Yosef's confidentiality. He could just bring it up in conversation. The Torah doesn't say that Yaakov spoke to the brothers at all about it. Yosef maligns them. Yaakov listens, evidently. Yaakov doesn't rebuke Yosef for speaking Lashon Hara, nor does he rebuke the brothers for the, what he has heard about them. Nor does he ask for clarification or some defense. The matter is just left hanging. This is problematic. Besides which, uh, he says that the Torah does describe how they resented him, how they were jealous of him, how they hated him. But it doesn't say that any of those were because of what he told their father about him. It refers to the fact that ya Yaakov demonstrated his superior love for Yosef through giving him the coat of many colors. So it says that his brothers were jealous of him, which is really more to the fault of Yaakov than it is to the fault of Yosef. Then Yosef is criticized by the brothers, and the Torah says that the brothers hated him because of his dreams, al which according to Ramban means for his dreams and for the fact that he told them about the dreams. Al-Chalomosa, for his dreams, of al and because of his words, because he was announcing it to everyone. al Chachma actually says that it wasn't just that he told his father and he told his brothers, but it was the way he told them. It says, Vihinei, Vihinei, it's an expression of exuberance, of excitement. And again, as I said, you can understand how the brothers would be very resentful of this uh, spoiled younger brother who's boasting and with such excitement and such enthusiasm, such exuberance. 
And that's exactly what the Torah says. So they hated him. It does not say that they hated him because of the Lashon Hara, because he was maligning them to their father and potentially causing their father to disown them, etc. As Mephoshim say later on, and maybe that is why they tried to do away with him uh, when they had the opportunity to, to do so. But the, the Torah doesn't say that that's the reason why. The Torah doesn't mention anything. Therefore, Ksava Kabbalah has a most novel suggestion. He says the word Dibasam, contrary to the art scroll rendition and contrary to the understanding of the other Mephoshim that I'm aware of, maybe some others do have this idea as well. It could be. I haven't uh, surveyed them all. He says the following, Dibasam, and he says, by the way, using a Talmudic expression, he says, Lule de Mistafin, if I were not afraid, if I were not, uh, you know, if I did not consider it uh, um, too bold to make the suggestion, this is what I would suggest. So let me tell you what he says. The word Diba, Dibasam Ra, does not mean Dibur, does not derive from the word Dibur here, like Rashi says, and it doesn't refer to Lashon Hara at all. The meaning is dibasam means their hatred. Because in the Aramaic language, the word devava, dalet, vase, vase, aleph, devava means hatred. Baal devava, meaning those who are like disputants or those who, who hate one another. That's called devava. He says dibasam ra'a el avihem yosef. The intention is that Yosef invoke their hatred. That because Yosef elicited their hatred through his behavior, through the boastful dreams and all of that, because Yosef, that, that, uh, because Yosef elicited, evinced, and you could say provoked their hatred, he brought ra'a el avihem. He brought misfortune and evil to his father, to their father. Because Yosef's behavior, Yosef's uh, uh, recounting the dreams, as we said, in such an exuberant and excited, enthusiastic way, naturally aroused the hatred and the jealousy of the other brothers. And as a result of that, they initially thought to kill him, and instead they sold him into slavery, which plunged their father into extreme depression. He could not be consoled for years. Someone who suffers a tragedy, it's the nature of the human experience to gradually be able to come back to the land of the living, to resume life, even though a person may be scarred, maybe, you know, permanently by misfortune or tragedy, but there's a certain level, a certain experience of consolation, which is natural for the human condition. Yaakov, he could not be consoled. He was inconsolate. This is the ra'ayelavihem, that Yosef's arousing his brother's hatred, he aroused their hatred and he brought ra'a misfortune and evil el avihem to, the, to their father. And according to this, he says, we can understand it very well. The 
Parsha begins, Vayeshev Yaakov, Beretz Mugaraviv, Yaakov settled in his father's, uh, the land of his father's sojourn. And Rashi says that Yaakov wanted to finally, having had so much turbulence in his life, so much tribulation, he wanted finally to settle down. That's how it begins. Unfortunately, it did not last. That Yosef was responsible, though he was the beloved son and he was righteous in his own way. To a, great, to, to a very great extent, but nevertheless, Yosef brought about the hatred of his brothers, and that brought upon his father tragedy. How did it happen? So that's the headline. What follows is the uh, account of those details. V'Yisrael Ahavis Yosef Nikolbanav, that Yisrael, that is Yaakov, loved Yosef more than the others, etc., etc., as the Torah continues to describe. So according to Ksavah Kabbalah, Yosef did not speak Lashon Hara at all. That's not the point. He did other things wrong, but that wasn't what that wasn't his his transgression. That wasn't among them. But rather, the Torah, just by way of introduction and headline, says that Yosef brought about his brother's hatred, and as a result, he caused misfortune and evil to befall his father. The Torah goes on to describe exactly how that came about. The lesson is the tragedy. Of, the, of a family feud. And that is the title for our year tonight as well, The Tragedy of the Family Feud. I'd like to, in the time we have left, turn to the end or near the end of the Parsha. Yosef, of course, finds his way into, doesn't find his way to Egypt, uh, you know, in the sense that he, he was sold into slavery. Again, as we very well know, he ended up in Egypt. He ended up in, as the... Uh, um, sort of uh, chief of staff or the comptroller of a, a very important household. He ended up as a result, as we know, in the prison. And I want to tell you about his uh, conversation with the butler and the baker. So obviously they had dreams. Yosef was, uh, um, well, he volunteered to endeavor to interpret the dreams. And he interpreted the dream of the uh, butler of the chief butler, the wine steward, uh, very much to the liking of the of the baker. Okay, he saw that he interpreted it well. But let's take a look at what he said to the wine steward. So it's chapter forty, verse fourteen. Uh, actually, let's go back a bit before that because we need to see the context. So going back to Pasuk Tess, the uh, wine steward, the, the minister of the, of the beverage, beverages, the wine guy, he told his dream and he said as follows, a, a vine was in front of me and the vine had three clusters of grapes and uh, they were blossoming. The grapes were like ripening before me. And... Uh, the uh, cluster of grapes was in my hands and the cup of, of paro was in my hand and I took the grapes and I squeezed them into the cup of Pharaoh and I gave the cup into the palm of Pharaoh. Okay, that was a dream. This is the interpretation. The three clusters of grapes are three days. Okay. In three more days, he safaras roshecha. Para will lift up your head. In other words, metaphorically, he will elevate you from this prison and restore you to your position. And you will once again have the uh, role 
the important role of placing the wine, the glass of wine into the hands of Paro, as you used to do. But then he adds the following words, and this is what I like to look at closely together. And I'll read the art scroll translation. If only you would think of me with yourself when he benefits you. That is to say, when this comes about in three days and Pharaoh benefits you to redeem you from the prison and restores you to your position. So if you would please think of me and if you will do me a kindness, if you please, and mention me to Pharaoh, then you would get me out of this building. Let's read it again. Will you please uh, remember me with you when things go well for you? And please do for me chesed, a kindness. He's kartani and mention me to Paro. And take me out of this building, meaning this prison. Says Xav Kabbalah, a very interesting and again, a novel approach. So these words, ki im zechartan itcha, they were to be the undoing of Yosef because, as Rashi says, and as we know, the uh, wine steward, the butler, was restored to his position. The baker, after three days, was not restored to his position. His head was lifted up, right? to the gallows. So the baker met his end and the uh, butler was restored. But as the Torah says at the very end of the parasha, he did not remember Yosef, he forgot all about him. It's only two years later at the beginning of the next parasha when Pharaoh has a dream and then this jogs the memory of the butler and he says, actually, I may have the guy who can help you out. What happened to the two years? The answer is Yosef was languishing in prison for two more years. Why? So Rashi says, quoting the Medrash, because of the two words that he said, he said, Zahartani. he said that he's Kartani because of those two words, because he did not trust in Hashem fully, but rather he trusted in this man, this uh, Butler, whom he, this Egyptian um, uh, courtier, whom he had assisted, he trusted in him, or at least he encouraged him uh, to to assist him. And for that reason, Yosef was consigned to remain two more years in prison. Okay, this is the conventional view. Says our friend for the year. A few questions. Kim zechartani. Zechartani is. In the past tense, Zechartani, you remembered me. Now, from the context, clearly it means please, it doesn't say please, it does say please later on. Kim Zechartani, if only you would think of me, you would think of me in the future. That's from the context. Of course, it means in the future, but it doesn't actually say in the future. It says Zechartani in the past. Itcha is very unusual. Zechartani itcha with you, you don't need with you. It's not the way that the word zechira, remembering, uh, uh, sort of is, is presented in the Hebrew language. Uh, it should say, zechartani el paro, mention me to Pharaoh. Zechartani itcha is an unusual expression. It, it's a bit um, uh, awkward. Moreover, and this is a, a real subtlety, which I enjoy, I hope you will too. If you look at the cantillation notes, 
goes together with that which preceded it. Remember me with you. is separate. Zechartani doesn't go together with Kashi according to the cantillation notes. The logic would suggest that it does, because no point in remembering me, uh, uh, you know, just in your own memoirs, in your own diary, you know, you tell your grandchildren uh, 50 years later, that's not the point. Zechartani remember me when things go well with you, and mention me to Pharaoh. But the cantillation notes suggest Kim Zechartani Itcha, that is a standalone phrase. Kashi Tablach is separate. He suggests, I don't want to keep you in suspense any longer, the following novel approach. Says Iksava Kabbalah, this dream, the last part of the dream only relates to the butler. And Yosef doesn't explain the first part of the dream at all. Take a close look again at verses 10 and 11. So now he's describing the, the, the butler was describing the dream in verses 10 and 11. You can look in the English if you like. Yosef says, let me explain it to you. The three clusters are three days. In three more days, Pharaoh will restore you to your position. What about the earlier part? What about the Geffen, the Fanai, the vine? And what about the, um, the uh, blossoming and the, the ripening of the grapes? And what about the squeezing? He doesn't mention any of that. Besides which, he makes a very astute point. He says, what a, a monarch, what a potentate, what aristocrat drinks wine that was just squeezed the same afternoon by the wine steward? That's not wine. That's, uh, you know, grape juice. <laughs> My mother, Zuchon Lebracha, lived in Israel for the last 10 years of her life. And uh, so she was on her own and uh, she would be invited out for Shabbos very, very regularly. And uh, she, a couple of times she reflected that the people who invite her, good friends and that sort of thing, uh, very few of them have wine. They always have grape juice. And okay, my mother wasn't a wine connoisseur, but she on Shabbos, she would enjoy a, you know, a cup of wine, at least a sip of wine from the Kiddush. They all used grape juice. So Ksava Kabbalah says, this, you don't serve faro grape juice that you just squeezed that same afternoon. Yain Migito, wine that's aged in barrels, that's wine for a monarch. So he says that, you know what, the three clusters and giving the cup to Pharaoh, that is part of the dream that's relevant to the Sar Hamashka. The rest of the dream is relevant to Yosef. The Sar Hamashka, the butler's dream, was foretelling the elevation and the liberation of Yosef. That's what it means. He says, Ki'im Zechartani. He says, and the word Ki'im, it doesn't mean like the arts group who says, if only you would think better. Rather, it means you shall. It means, Im uh, Cain uh, uh, means MS, Amnam, indeed. Kim Zechartani, you have mentioned me. In your dream that you've told me about, you have foretold my own redemption. Itcha, together with you. 
When things go well with you, they're going well with me. They will go well with, with me as well at that time. And he explains beautifully the symbolism. He says that uh, the Kaparachas al Sanitza, that it began to blossom and ripen. He says that refers to my redemption from this prison, just like a, uh, a flower or a fruit that begins to blossom and you see the beautiful flower, it's maybe aromatic as well, and then the fruit follows, you know, if according to this dream it happened in, in quick order, he says that is a metaphor for my elevation from this uh, dungeon. He says the gefen, the vine, is a remiss to the Jewish people. The Jewish people are likened to a vine. Parachas means tifrach. It will blossom from a, 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 um, a lowly state. The place right where I am, this prison where I'm guarded, I'm under, you know, armed guard, maybe not armed, I'm under guards of the, the prison uh, uh, warden. He says that's like the symbolism, a metaphor for wine, which is held within the grapes the schita squeezing it of course is a symbolism for my getting out of prison like symbolically a person squeezes out the prison the prison is supposed to keep him there he squeezes out so he says the first part of the Ksava Kabbalah says the first part of the dream Yosef understood as referring to him as uh, it was a realiz it was a realization of his hopes of redemption from the prison. Not only that, but he realized that he's going to go first class. He's not going to have to escape like uh, you know from prison, um, prisoner exchanges or like that. He is going to be summoned to the palace, and he is going to uh, rise to prominence and to eminence. So that was Yosef's uh, uh, reaction. That's what it means. Why was he consigned? Uh, when it says na, it says the word na, vasisa na imadi chesed, says it doesn't mean do for me, please. Na means meaning please. The word na also means now. Na means ata. But he says it doesn't mean it's going to happen now. Vasisa na imadi. He says now you will see how you have done a chesed for me. Now the, the uh, like wheels of fortune are turning. And as of now, you've done a great chesed for me because you've told me of your dream, which gives me the assurance that my uh, elevation, my redemption from prison is at hand. Why did it not happen now? Why, in fact, did it happen two years later? So here he says, yeah, that's what Chachami meant, that because Yosef was talking to the to the. Um, uh, butler, he didn't mean to ask him, please mention me to fire. He wasn't pleading with him according to this novel approach, but rather he was telling the butler about the, the content of his dream. Part of it is about your elevation, but the rest of it is about my elevation. Shouldn't have told him. Someone like Yosef is on such a high madrega, he should not have told, he should not have recounted. It's almost as if he hadn't quite learned his lesson from his previous dreams with his brothers, should have kept it to himself. And therefore, Chazal find fault with him in a very subtle way. 
and Yosef for, for that. So thank you for uh, your participation tonight. And I'll just to re review as we like to do. We begin by saying Haya Ro'e. Ro'e here doesn't just mean he was a shepherd, but rather he was demonstrating the skill of the shepherd to his brothers. He was the most gifted shepherd because he's a scion of the great family business. Abraham, Yitzhak, Yaakov, they're all shepherds. And now Yosef is also the shepherd, but nevertheless, he was modest. He was humble. Uh, and his dreams, therefore, were dreams of prophecy, not delusions of grandeur. Of course, it didn't work out that way for him in the sense that his humility was, uh, let's say, not appreciated or not recognized by his brothers. And according to what we have suggested, Yosef is not um, a, a tail bearer at all to his father, but rather he's he has his behavior has evoked the hatred of his brothers. He brings the misfortune, the ra elaviem to his father because he evokes their hatred, and that's a headline. Everything that follows are the details of how it came about. And finally, just now we've seen that he says to the uh, to the butler not please remember me to Pharaoh. And of course the butler let him down. That's not what it means. He said to the butler, your dream foretells your elevation, but it foretells mine as well. And therefore it's a statement. He says, Kim Zachartani, you have indeed foretold, you have mentioned, the word means Kartani, you have mentioned me in your dream without realizing it. And therefore your dream foretells of my elevation as well. And that's why Yosef, was uh, so uh, pleased because that was a dream in which he foresaw, through which he foresaw his own uh, elevation as well and his redemption from the prison. So thank you very much. We've learned about the tragedy of family feud and I think some other uh, interesting ideas along the way and uh, wish everybody Shabbat Shalom. And remember the Whiskey Tish is happening tomorrow night uh, starting at 8.30. It's for men, it's for women, it's for singles, it's for couples. And uh, all are welcome. We look forward to seeing you. Any questions? We're happy to take any comments, questions. Oh, Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, thank you to Paul again for hosting us tonight. Thank you, Rabbi, as usual. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.